I'd like to, uh, we're going to be in First Peter today, and if you would like a copy of the scriptures, just slip up your hand. We'll be glad to pass out a Bible to you, tell you what page we're going to be on. Just slip up your hand if you'd like a, a bridge Bible, because uh, you'll need to follow along. Uh, we have right down here, yeah, we have we have plenty. Uh, I'm glad to hand one out to you. We're going to be on page uh, 840. Before we uh, look at the text this morning, I want to introduce you to um, an unusual 11-year-old phenom, and uh, I'm going to show. We're going to show a short two-minute video clip to introduce you to him, and it's going to be right in the middle of a concert, and he's going to be so watch him playing the piano, and he's going to be at the bottom of the screen. Okay, that was Anson Hui, 11 years old, and uh, let me just tell you a little bit about him. Um, I read about him a couple of weeks ago, and um, at the age of three, Anson was diagnosed with glycogen storage disease. It's called, they call it GSD, meaning his body can't break down or store sugars. He requires frequent daytime feedings, drinking raw cornstarch, and nighttime feedings through a pump that hooks in into a surgically implanted tube to his stomach. At the age of five, he experienced developmental delays that doctors fear were connected to autism. Because I have an autistic grandson, I didn't expect um, to be uh, quite so uh, emotional. Um, so he experienced developmental delays. At that point in his life, he couldn't speak sentences with more than three syllables. He also became a target for what schoolyard bully, for schoolyard bu- bullies. No wonder that Anson often asks, why did God put me here? However, Anson also discovered that he had a gift. He said, while everyone else was busy talking, I listened and listened to all the sounds around me. His listening skills helped him develop another gift, perfect absolute pitch. Anson discovered that he could memorize and then master complex piano pieces such as Mozart's Concerto in D minor with outstanding speed and proficiency. Anson has won numerous awards, even performed in Carnegie Hall. Anson's trials and his gifts have led him to declare his deep faith in the living God. He said, I can't decide many things that God has already planned, but I can still choose to work on my dream because I still have workable hands and a body to do it. I believe in that every single life is unique and special. Each has its own mission and purpose. About a year ago, he received more difficult news. An MRI revealed a benign tumor around his liver, uh, which can lead to a liver transplant, which is a tricky procedure for a GSD patient. But once again, Anson finds solace 
in God's faithfulness. Here's what he said. I know there's always a reason for God to give me a special body and talent. My dream is to be a tool of God. So in the end, I can hand in a beautiful report to my Lord in heaven with honor. And the most important thing is, I will never regret this journey on earth. That's an amazing story. Um, He played, the video was from um, October 2010. Um, last week we talked about when life brings adversity, genuine faith shines brightly. Let me remind you of a couple of verses. Um, in chapter one, verse six, uh, Peter says in this, you greatly rejoice though. Now for a little while, you may have have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I think Anson Hui is a great example of suffering all kinds of trials and having his faith proved genuine. Today we're going to see that when life brings adversity, don't just let life happen. Do something. Uh, let's look at... Uh, we're going to begin at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 15. One of the problems is sometimes when we face adversity, um, sometimes we feel overwhelmed. Sometimes uh, we feel defeated. Sometimes we go into neutral. Sometimes we seek to escape or to self-medicate. Uh, sometimes we just uh, give up and quit trying. Uh, Peter would say to us, take charge of your spiritual life. And you can follow uh, on your outline in your, in your program. Take charge of your spiritual life. Let's look at uh, verse uh, 13. Uh, the Apostle Peter writes, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So take charge. Uh, don't just let life happen. That's so easy to do. It's, it's, it, life is so hard and you just kind of backpedal and, and, oh, I've got to overcome this and I've got to overcome this. And uh, Peter says, take charge. He begins in verse 13, prepare your mind for action. It starts in the mind. It starts in the head. It starts with mental preparation. Um, don't be passive about your life. So many times I find people who are just passive. They're just going through the motions and just, uh, yeah, life is really hard. Uh, And Peter says, don't let life happen to you. Focus on the important. Uh, Don't play on the defensive. Take charge. Pull yourselves together is another way to say prepare your mind for action. And then uh, also in verse 13, be self-controlled. Being self-controlled is a discipline. Uh, It's not about letting your circumstances control you. Um, it's to be sober-minded. Don't allow your mind to be controlled by outside influences. Uh, to be sober-minded, obviously, uh, to be, uh, don't let your mind be controlled by alcohol or drugs, or don't let your mind be controlled by other people or your circumstances or anxiety or stress. Because those all affect, can all affect us. So it's about discipline. Uh, It's about self-leadership. To be self-controlled is about self-leadership. 
Um, Self-control is a choice. Who is going to lead your life? And yes, we want you to be submissive to Jesus and let Jesus to lead you. But you have to take charge under Jesus for your own life. You have to be responsible for you. Uh, it's about leading yourself. It's about using your, mighty, your mind to get your body in the right direction. To make choices about spiritual priorities. It's about putting God's kingdom first and your kingdom second. Also, to be self-controlled, it's the outcome of a spirit-filled life. The outcome of a spirit-filled life. Self-control is a good thing. It's not, uh, it's not about selfishness. It's about when my life is yielded to the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5:22 and 23, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And um, fruit is the product uh, when we walk in the power of Christ and when we yield our lives to, to Christ, uh, one of the products or byproducts, uh, the outgrowth, the outcome, is uh, having self-control. Self-control grows at a living day by day in the power of the Holy Spirit. Also in verse 13, we're still in verse 13, set your hope on the grace to be revealed. Set your hope on the grace to be revealed. And Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Um, remember that grace is, um, we, we don't deserve grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Um, we cannot achieve grace. I cannot achieve grace by my own effort. I cannot earn it. Uh, it's a gift. And... Um, this concept of grace includes all of my salvation, all that I've been given right now, and it includes uh, my salvation that I have not yet received, my, my inheritance that's in heaven, and it's an eternal and is shielded by the power of God. One day, by God's grace, he will pay back all who have harmed you or caused you to, su- to suffer. Uh, Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace given to you when Jesus is revealed. When Jesus is revealed, um, he, he's going to uh, come and, and pay back all the harm uh, that people have caused you. Uh, this is really about Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus returns and he, he returns to bring justice and he returns as a judge. And uh, scripture says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And there's a time when everything's going to be made right. And um, we are to wait by faith. Also, one day you will see Jesus face to face. When Jesus Christ is revealed, you will see Jesus. And you're to set your hope on this truth. And keeping this truth before you, keeping this before us, helps us uh, to keep life in focus and life in proper perspective and it motivates us uh, to please him and not to focus on ourselves number four one day you'll experience all that god has promised you and that's why we're to set our hope fully on the grace that's been given when jesus is revealed Uh, god you know god never intended uh your life to uh to be perfect here on earth god never intended this to be heaven 
God never t- intended your life to be problem-free. And sometimes we, we find ourselves expecting or thinking it should be that this should be uh, the life without problems. And there's nowhere in Scripture that uh, suggests that. There is a time coming, and we're to set our hope on Christ, a time coming when we'll fully experience that perfect life, that life of perfection, heaven, no more pain, no more sin, and no more suffering. Uh, No more tough days at work, no more housework, no more financial stress, no more disappointments. Uh, But that time is coming, and it's not here. Uh, Verse 14, uh, Peter says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Stop following selfish desires. That's what Peter would say. Uh, You're facing adversity. Don't let life just happen to you. Stop following selfish desires as obedient. If you're a child of God, as an obedient child, don't conform any longer to evil desires. Um, As you had when you lived in ignorance. Living in ignorance refers to life before your faith in Jesus Christ, before you became a child of God, before salvation, B.C. days. And um, Peter would say, if you uh, intend to live in obedience and to follow Christ, stop focusing on making yourself happy. Stop focusing on your selfish desires. There's a lot of desires God has given us, God-given desires, like food, Uh, Hunger is a good desire, and yet food can control people. Seeking comfort in food um, and and living for food can be a selfish desire, but food in itself is is a good thing. Desire for sex. Uh, God designed it to be a good thing, and it can be a controlling thing, and it can be uh, a self-centered, selfish desire. A desire to feel good uh, can lead to the desire for self-medication, can lead to addictions, uh, desire for fame, desire even the desire to be loved. Everybody desires to be loved. That's a good thing. And yet people will can go uh, to, to great ends and to, to be loved and um, do not conform to evil desires. The Apostle Paul uh, put it this way in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And it's about about the mind. It's about uh, your approach to life and not to conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Um, if if uh, if we get stuck in the world's value system, um, we'll never know what God intended for us. Um, we won't experience his peace. We'll try to find our peace. Uh, we won't experience his contentment. We'll try to seek contentment in our own way. And we'll seek to fill a hole in our heart uh, some other way than by following God's priorities. Come to verses 15 and 16. Peter tells us to be holy, but just as he has called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy as I am holy. God is to be holy, or God is holy. We're to be like him. We are to be holy. Jesus is holy. 
We're to be like him. We're to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to be holy? Thank you for asking. I knew you would. Um, To be holy means to be set apart to God. It means to be set apart from sin to God. It means to be set apart from sin to God to serve him. That's pretty much all that it means to be holy. And that's attainable for every person in this room. Sometimes you get this idea that holy is totally unattainable. It'll never happen. Why even try? And it's something that... um, in, I think there's some. It always helps me to put it this way. In in the um, in the Old Testament, things that were used to serve at the temple needed to be holy before they could be used. For example, a bucket that was used to carry out ashes in the temple after an animal after a sacrifice was supposed to be holy. Well, what's that about? Well, it had to be set apart for God. It had to be cleansed, set apart for God, and the purpose was to serve God. An ordinary bucket could be made holy. An ordinary person like you and me can be made holy. Set apart for God, set apart from sin with one purpose, serve God. That's it. Not serve self, serve God. Every person in the room can be holy. I like Romans 12.1. I think it really helps to... Uh, a lot of us are familiar with this verse The Apostle Paul writes, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that has been written before in the first 11 chapters about the meaning and significance of the death of Christ, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And it's just about saying, "Okay, God, here I am, all that I am. Um, I've, I've reflected on my sin I've acknowledged it to you. I'm confessing my sin to you. I'm seeking your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness because you've promised forgiveness if I confess my sin. Now that I'm forgiven, I'm, I'm a clean vessel. I'm a clean person. I'm spiritually clean. God, I, I want you to take all of me. I'm yours, and I'm only here to serve you. And that's the kind of life that I saw this, little, this 11-year-old Anson Hui getting already. And that's all that it means. Just you can, anybody can do that. So it's not like the super spiritual giant. It's just somebody who says, God, here I am. I'm available. I'm yours. Use me. So don't just let life happen to you. Take charge of your spiritual life. My fear is um, some of us probably are just coasting in our spiritual lives. We aren't taking charge. Some of us are drifting, uh, and some of us have, are just in neutral. And uh, you know what? We're not going to have an impact at all for God. So don't just, just let life happen. Take charge. Secondly, live like a citizen in heaven. And this is verses 17 through 21. Live like a citizen of heaven. Live like somebody who has an official membership in heaven. Live like you belong. First reason, verse 17, we are accountable to God. We are accountable to God. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, impartially. Um, 
The scripture says God will judge each person impartially. God is not going to compare to you to anybody else. God is not going to compare to you to your brother or your sister or your parents or your friends or some other Christian. God is going to judge you according to his standards and you alone. Each of us will face Jesus for how we live. Second reason, verse 17 also, live uh, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Reason number two is we're just passing through. We're just path, passing through. We're strangers. Um, and Peter's saying, don't live like this is all there is. Don't live like this is your home. Don't live like this is where you plan to be for in eternity. Um, live as citizens of heaven. And, uh, live as a citizen of heaven just in case someone around you Uh, might be interested to know how they can find Jesus. They could pick you out. Oh, that's a Christian. I want want to know uh, what a Christian is. I want to know how to become a Christian. I want to know what to do about my sin. And if you live as a citizen of heaven and um, people will know how to get there. Uh, and then Peter says to live here in reverent fear. It's not to be afraid of God. It's to live in super uh, humility, to be humble before God, to live in awe of God. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Please note he's saying work out your salvation. He's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying work out. Work out what God has already worked in. When I place my faith in Jesus, he gives me the gift of eternal life, eternal salvation. He gives me the Holy Spirit to live in me. Now he's saying, work it out. Let it be displayed in your life, that which God has worked in. With fear and trembling, there's that same concept, in great humility before God. For it is God who works in you to will and to work to will and to act according to his good purpose. And so there's a part where we engage and we take action, and then we allow God to work in us for his purpose. The third reason to live like a citizen of heaven is that our salvation was purchased with the precious life of God. Verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers. It wasn't money. It wasn't just, a, you know, a, how much would it take to purchase you, your salvation? You think a few billion dollars would do it? Probably not. Um, Peter refers to the empty way of life. It refers to your life before you were in relationship with Jesus Christ, your life before Christ. Verse 19, he says, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, for some of you who know the Bible, that's really easy to understand. And you can imagine how somebody who doesn't know the Bible, that, what is that all about? The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without a blemish or defect. And Peter is referring to um, Isaiah 53 and um, In the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest took a lamb, uh, a lamb without blemish, into the Holy of Holies one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And um, 
the blood was the covering for the sin of the nation for one year. And there's imagery here of Christ as a lamb without blemish or defect because there was no sin found in Jesus Christ. And this blood that was shed on the cross was precious blood. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. An amazing thing. God had a plan before the creation of the world that Jesus would pay the penalty for our sin. This was, you know, this wasn't a uh, second uh, thought on, on God's part. His plan from the beginning before anything was created that Jesus would die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sin. Uh, God is in charge of history, and uh, you can trust his plan. Verse 21, through him we, you believe in God who raised him, him from the dead, meaning Jesus, and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. And Peter would say it's about Jesus and about who he is and what he's done. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, and he glorified him. He gave him a new body on Easter Sunday, the resurrection, and he took him back to heaven. Isaiah 53, verse 7, uh, alludes to this picture. He's, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to slaughter. That's where that imagery of the Messiah, the promised one, being like a lamb the precious blood of lamb, as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So that's where that lamb imagery comes from. This person also uh, would would suffer uh, for sin in Isaiah 53. John the Baptist used this imagery in John chapter 1, verse 29. He said, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is when John the Baptist began to point his followers to the one more important than him, to Jesus. And he called him the Lamb of God. I don't think anybody understood what that meant when John spoke it. John was probably the one that had the most clue, clues, the most information about Jesus being the Lamb of God at that time. So how valuable was the precious blood of the Lamb that took away the sin of the world? How much silver and gold would his blood be worth and that's the amazing thing uh that when i first understood this when i first got this it was amazing to me to think in terms of well how much does it take to cover my sin how much does it take to cover the sins of every person in this room and every person in this city and every person in this country and every person in the world and every person that's ever been born how big of sin penalty is that and, you know, it's bigger than our national debt. And it's bigger and bigger and bigger. But you know what? It's always finite. And the blood of Jesus Christ is infinitely valuable. Infinitely because of who he is. Because he is God. His life is infinitely valuable. Thirdly, in verse 22, um, when life brings adversity... Don't just let life happen to you. Number three, love one another deeply. Love one another deeply. Now that you are purif- now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, your salvation makes it possible. It makes it possible for you to have love for one another. That's A, your salvation makes it possible. B, it's God's way of dealing with adversity and building his church. 
It's God's way of dealing with adversity and building, building his church. This may be uh, your best takeaway of the day. So listen up on this one, okay? This is God's way of dealing with adversity. Love one another deeply, in verse 22, from the heart. Love one another. This is a command, okay? When people are going through various trials, First Peter tells us, he says, love one another deeply. This is the word here is agape love, sacrificial love. It's the same word as John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He sacrificed that He gave His Son. This kind of love um, in our relationships is only possible through the power of God. It is impossible for an unbelieving person to love with this kind of love. It's only connected by the Holy Spirit, agape love. Um. So it only happens in walk when someone is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is why it's so important that uh, we know each other more than just Sunday morning. You know, by nature, we're going to meet and meet once a week for uh, corporate worship. But that's not enough to love one another deeply. It, it, we can be connected. Um, we, we get to know each other. But to love each other deeply, we have to be in relationship. That's why, that's why growth groups are so important, that uh, we know each other outside of Sunday morning, that we know what's going You can't know everybody in the church. Now, we're still a smaller group, and we're very small today. But uh, you can't know everybody in the church, and you can't take care of everybody's needs in the church, but you can take care of people's needs in your group. And from the very beginning, it was big church and little church in Acts chapter 2. And the church started out with 3,000 people, and guess what? You couldn't take care of the needs of 3,000 people, but they met house to house. So they could love each other deeply. And uh, that's God's uh, way of dealing with adversity. It was God's way of dealing with adversity in the very beginning. It's God's way of dealing with adversity right now is uh, we help each other by loving each other, by sacrificing, by caring for each other. Um, Jesus put it this way in John 13, 34, and 35, when he said, A new command I give you. This is to his disciples, and this was the night before he was crucified. He says, Love one another. Agape is the word he used. Sacrifice for one another. As I have sacrificed for you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is not about an emotional feeling, this is about commitment. It's the kind of love that's to hold a marriage together for a lifetime. It's the kind of love that's to hold a church together. Love one another. Commit to one another. Decide to be committed to one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This was God's plan for building his church by our relationships. It should be so powerful that other people are attracted to Jesus. Not attracted to a church, but attracted to Jesus. Because of the way we love. Because that experience. And people want to know what that's all about. Where does that come from? How do you do that? And when life brings adversity, this is God's way of dealing with adversity and God's way of building his church. Um, I can think of countless times uh, back through our lives as a couple when the body of Christ uh, has helped us when we faced adversity. And um, 
I could go, I could make a long list, and then Sue would say, you left out all of these other things. Some quickly, here are some things. When our son was born and contracted spinal meningitis, we were in a large church in Dallas. You know, it's the kind of thing, if we weren't there on a Sunday, who would know? We weren't there. But our small group was there for us. And uh, they loved us. They served us. They brought us food. They prayed for us. They visited us. And uh, some of those people are still uh, lifetime friends today. When our daughter had a surgery in Florida, and she had two, our church leaders, and they were our group at that time, uh, they served us and they prayed for us and they prayed for our daughter. And um, they were on our team and we knew that. When Sue's dad drowned from an ice fishing accident, uh, our group... Uh, drove 350 miles to be with us at uh, his funeral. Uh, when my dad died in Iowa, uh, again, friends from our small groups drove that 350 miles. They're like nine years apart, uh, different small group. And uh, th- those, those things, a little thing, a big thing, yes. Um, yesterday I did a, um, a funeral back in Stoughton. And uh, where did I go? I stayed overnight with friends of ours from a small group uh, that we were in three years with in back uh, when we were at Lakeview Church. And those are just relationships that last and that relationships that, about loving uh, each other. Okay, we're down to number four. Um, so love is God's plan for... At, Adversity and for loving one another is God's plan for adversity and for building his church. Number four, grow up, pursue maturity. This is in chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, Peter says, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. God's word is life-giving and life-changing. God's word is life-giving and life-changing. Changing. Remember the gospel, the message of good news, the message of salvation is life-giving and it is life-changing. I'll tell you what, I know firsthand because on September 29, 1974, I was heading in one direction and I was very self-indulgent and uh, I met Jesus Christ and he turned my life in a whole new trajectory and... Um, He brought major change to my life, uh, to my marriage, to my family. Um, The word of God is life-giving and life-changing. Also, God's word and his promises stand forever. Look at uh, verse 24. Peter writes, For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. God's word stands forever. That's an amazing thing. And when you think about it, it's, you know, it's kind of like a no-brainer, but do you want to trust something that's going to last forever, or do you going to want to trust your best guess? You want, to entrust, you want to trust the enduring word of God or your best guess. Um, also, growth requires that you get rid of sin that impedes you in chapter 2, verse 1. Peter writes, therefore, get rid of sin 
excuse me, uh, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, slander of every kind. Five sins of attitude and speech. Uh, the first one is malice. And uh, malice is uh, wishing uh, harm for someone else. Uh, in, the, in the area of evil, it's worse, worse, uh, wishing someone harm. The second one is deceit, which is deliberate dishonesty. Uh, it's about covering up the truth. And uh, that's a tremendous, uh, great tactic of the evil one, Satan. The third one is hypocrisy. And, and Peter's saying, put these things off. Don't go there. Don't live there. Hypocrisy is putting on a mask. It's a cover-up. Uh, it's pretending to be somebody you're not. Pretending to be spiritual. Pretending to be godly when you're not. It's covering up. The fourth one is envy. Resenting others. Uh, for what they have or what they've been given, what they've received. It's being discontent, wanting more to fill the hole in your heart. And the last one, number five, is slander. Uh, and that's telling untruths about others, intentionally putting others in a bad light. And Peter's saying, um, make sure you're not dragging these around with you. Put off those things that are impeding your walk with Christ. And then in verses 2 and 3, growth requires a constant intake of God's word. Growth requires a constant intake of God's word. A long time ago, someone uh, told me, Jerry, um, mature Christians are self-feeders. And uh, that's always stuck with me. And by that, it means this. You know, you can go to church on Sunday, and the pastor can give you a message, and he can take a spoon, and he can spoon-feed you the word of God. And you can learn, and it can be helpful, and it can help you grow. But you can't go Sunday to Sunday with spoon feeding to grow. You have to be a self-feeder of God's Word. You have to take it on yourself to have a regular intake of God's Word, a regular input of God's Word. And Peter writes it this way, like newborn babies crave, crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Since you've experienced the goodness of God, be like a newborn baby. Crave pure spiritual milk. And he's using a metaphor here of spiritual milk. And he's talking about God's word. Uh, you need a constant intake to grow, to thrive, to overcome weaknesses, to overcome sin, to overcome making poor choices. Um, You know, reading the Bible isn't the answer for everything. But I can tell you, you're not going to grow without it. You're not going to grow without it. In uh, Psalm 19, uh, speaking of God's word, in Psalm 19, verses 8 through 11, the psalmist says this, The precepts of the Lord are right. The psalmist is describing God's word. When he says the precepts of the Lord, he's describing God's word. Here are just some of the benefits the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. You know, there's so much that people search for in life, trying to fill the hole in their heart so that they can experience joy. And the psalmist says, you know what? You can find joy from God's word, joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. 
Next one. The fear of the Lord is pure. He's talking about Scripture. Enduring forever. The ordinances. He's talking about Scripture. The ordinances of the Lord are sure, altogether righteous. Verse 10. They are more precious than gold. That's what Peter's been talking about. Than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. Than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Boy, if we believe that, everybody would be reading Scripture, wouldn't they? Everybody would be if there was a great reward, great benefits uh, for doing that. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. He says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. I have a slight preference here for the New American Standard, and it says, if you continue in my word. I give you my word, you continue, you follow, you, you know what it is. You embrace it. You take it into your life. If you continue in my word, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. You're the real deal. You're the genuine deal. Then you will know the truth. You'll get it. And the truth will set you free because it's living and powerful. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, It'll feed you spiritually like pure spiritual milk and give you freedom from sin uh, freedom from addictions, freedom from spiritual enslavement to anything but Jesus. So when life brings adversity, don't just let life happen to you. Take charge of your spiritual life. Get prepared for action. Live like a citizen of heaven and love one another deeply. deeply. And then Peter says, grow up. Pursue spiritual maturity. And... Today is not a message about comfort. It's just a reminder that we have to do something. We have to take action. We have to initiate in our relationship with God. God has done so much for us. Revelation and then response. What about us? We, we respond by faith and we learn to follow Christ and obey. Let's stand and I'd like to pray for us. Father, we thank you for the word of God, and we thank you for Peter's instructions. And as we look back and see his life and see that he faced adversity, and he learned a lot of things the hard way, and that's just how we learn them too. We learn many the hard way. Um, God, may we grow in our trust of you, that you are in control. May we grow in our confidence in your word. And... um, May we do something about our spiritual life. May we take some action. And may we focus on the word of God. And may we seek your priorities for Jesus' sake. Amen.